Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you uh, after being absent uh, the other weekend. Um, how many of you know the movie or have seen the movie, Heaven is for Real? Anybody here today? Okay, some of you have seen that. Uh, it's a 2014 uh, American-made uh, film. It was based on a book by the same name, Heaven is for Real. And it's about a four-year-old boy by the name of Colton, who is the son of Todd Burpo, who happens to be a pastor in the U.S. Colton had to go in for emergency surgery for acute appendicitis. And while he was in surgery, he says that he experienced heaven. And he described to his family, after the anesthesia wore off, about um, how he could see the surgeon operating on his appendix. He saw and heard his mother calling people on the phone to pray. And his father in another room yelling at God to not let him die. He remembered those things. He also speaks of incidents with people that he had never met or knew about, like his great-grandfather who had died long before he was born, and an unborn sister that he never knew about, who had died in a miscarriage. And he talked about meeting Jesus. And what's interesting about that, you know, we call those uh, near-death experiences. And the interesting thing about that is people who can testify to having a near-death experience um, are changed by it. They're absolutely transformed. It, it, it gives them a different perspective on life um, and often gives them more clarity and, and focus well, you don't have to have a near-death experience in order to get that kind of clarity and focus in life. As a Christian, I know that there is nothing that can compare to a genuine encounter with the risen Christ, with Jesus in his glory. Well, we're going to look at a story today, as Pastor Trent hinted. It's called the Transfiguration. It's found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you can actually just go there and just get it ready. Mark chapter 9. We're working our way through Mark's Gospel. Um, and this story of the transfiguration, it's an account where the disciples experienced Jesus, saw Jesus in a completely new way. Um, it's found, the story is found in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which tells us that it's one of the most significant stories in the life of Jesus and the disciples. Now, the disciples really got to know Jesus at a much deeper level during the transfiguration. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And the apostle Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus wanted them to know him. Now, if you were to ask me, Brian, do you know Jesus? I would answer yes. But you could also say, well, how well do you know Jesus? Because I would have to tell you, I'm still getting to know him better and better. And the New Testament teaches us that, that we should try to get him to know him in a deeper way. Just like a human being, there's some people that you might know in a very superficial way, and there's other people that you know in an intimate way in life. There's degrees of knowing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a, a passage there 
where the Apostle Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, beginning at verse 11, I think. And he says, um, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? And only you really know your deepest thoughts, right? And then it says, Who, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God knows his own thoughts. And there's thoughts that we cannot know unless God chooses to reveal them to us. But God knows everything about us. We don't know everything about him. We don't know everything about Jesus. But he knows us intimately. Psalm 139, one of the most famous, beloved psalms in the Bible. You know, he knows my lying down and my rising up, my going out and my coming in. He knows every thought that I have and every word on my tongue before I speak it. God knows us intimately. But if you were to say, Brian, how well do you know Jesus? I'd have to say, I don't think I've scratched the surface. I begin my days with my Bible and in prayer. I begin my day with God. And I say, Lord, I seek your face today. You are my portion. I want to know him at a deeper level. I'm still not satisfied that I know him the way I need to know him. And it's kind of interesting. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it actually says this. Now we know in part... Then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. What's he talking about? He's talking about that day when Jesus will finally be revealed for who he is after he returns. He's saying, well, right now we know him in part, but then we're going to know him, like really know him. In 1 John chapter 3, he says this. He said that we shall see him as he is, and we will become like him. To see him is to become like him. To see him with the eyes of faith is to become transformed into his likeness. So anyway, getting to Mark chapter 9, the disciples get a sneak preview of Jesus in his glorified state. They get a front row seat into something Uh, that angels would long to look into, the Bible says. The veil was pulled back, and they had a chance to get a glimpse of when faith would become sight one day, and Christ would be revealed in all his glory. So the backstory to this was that Jesus asked his disciples, who am I? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Jesus, to their shock and dismay, said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, and he will suffer, he will be crucified, and die, and rise again. And they just could not understand this. And then as they're trying to figure this out, he says, now you too must also take up your cross and follow me, if you want to be one of my disciples. And then he says something kind of interesting in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I tell you the truth, some of you who are standing here today will not die, you will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God come with power. And like, what does he mean by that? They probably thought that he meant that he was going to overthrow Rome and establish his kingdom on earth. But that's not at all what he meant. He says, some of you here today are going to live to see the kingdom of God in power. What was he talking about? He was talking about the transfiguration that was about to happen. So let's look in our Bibles to Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. It says, After six days, 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now, the closest thing I can think of, like an image that we might be familiar with in pop culture, is, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings trilogy and Gandalf the Grey, he is killed when he's doing battle with the demon Balrog uh, in Moria, and he, he presumably dies, but he's not really dead he reappears as, like this image, Gandalf the White. And he's there with them. And they go, he's not dead. He's still alive. And he's glorious. And he's powerful. And so um, that, it, it might have been something like that. Because it tells us in verse 3 that he was dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach his clothes. And it says, there appeared before them Elijah and Moses... Elijah and Moses were there talking. And I wonder, how did they know it was Elijah and Moses? Well, they had name tags. No, they didn't have name tags. I actually think the way they knew is probably after the whole event, Jesus probably did explain things to them and told them. And then in verse 3, Peter says to Jesus, like he's overwhelmed, right? He says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, like we're going to stay overnight for a while. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then it says in verse 8, Mark adds this comment. He didn't know what to say. They were just so frightened. Jesus was blathering on. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. Wow. Can you imagine having been there? Um, the transfiguration was significant because of what it tells us and what it told the disciples about Jesus. First of all, we see that his appearance had changed. His appearance had changed. He was dazzling. He was otherworldly. He wasn't just the, the man, the rabbi who ate with them and walked with them and, and taught them. They were kind of like transported to a different place. It was almost kind of like a vision, like a dream. So not only that, not, oh, by the way, the Bible says that he was transfigured. That word transfigured is actually the Greek word metamorpho, which actually means where we get the word metamorphosis. Caterpillars, you know, metamorphized through, from a caterpillar, creepy, to a butterfly, which is beautiful. I love butterflies. I hate caterpillars. But there was a metamorphosis that took place of Jesus. He was Transformed, And then it tells us, not only that, if that wasn't enough, Moses and Elijah appear, and they're having a conversation. And you might say, well, I wonder what they were talking about. Well, Luke chapter 9 actually tells us what they were talking about. We'll save that for a little bit later. But while this is all going on, and they're looking at Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they're having this conversation, and Jesus is glorious, that's when Peter wants to build these three shelters 
He's just overwhelmed by the whole thing, and he, he wants to linger. He wants to linger. And then it tells us that a cloud enveloped them. And it's kind of interesting, the, the presence of a cloud is an indicator of the glory of God is present. Like, can you imagine if a cloud actually came from just absolutely out of nowhere, out of heaven, and began to fill this place? That would be the glory of God. And this cloud envelops them, signifying the presence and the glory of God. And they knew that they were on holy ground, those three. And it could be a terrifying experience. Because, you know, when God descended on Mount Sinai and the cloud appeared, it was a terrifying experience. It was worshipful, though. The same thing when the the cloud filled the temple, Solomon's temple, and the, the priests couldn't even go in to minister. There was something terrifying about that. So there was Jesus, there was Moses and Elijah, the cloud appears, but there was someone else there as well. And it was God the Father. The Father appears and he speaks. And there's, there's this voice. And now we hear the affirmation of the Father to the Son. Can you imagine Peter, James, and John witnessing this and then they hear this voice kind of come out of heaven? And it's, the voice says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Those same words were said at Jesus' baptism and John the Baptist was there. Many were there. And now again, shortly before Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples needed the reminder. No, we didn't get it wrong. He is the Son of God. So what does the transfiguration tell us about Jesus? Um, Because what happens is the cloud dissipates and they look up and there's only one man left standing, and it's Jesus. Moses and Elijah are gone. And God says, listen to him. Sure, listen to the law and the prophets. Listen to Moses and Elijah. They came before Jesus, but everything that had written, been written before, everything you read in your Old Testament testified to Jesus. It pointed to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus had now transcended the law and the prophets. It's not that the law and the prophets didn't matter. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He fulfilled it, and he transcended it. Now, it's kind of interesting. That passage that Pastor Tammy read us, earlier from 2 Peter. So it's interesting. Um, First and 2 Peter are attributed to the apostle Peter. And he was there on the mountain. He's there. And years later, he's reflecting 
on what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, the story we're looking about at. How significant do you think it was in the life of Peter to have witnessed this, to experience this, that years later he actually puts it in one of his two short epistles, letters that he wrote to the churches. And he says, we did not make up cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his glory. And we heard the voice that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He remembered it. Listen to him. All of what happened on the mountain, Jesus transfigured appearance, the presence of Moses and Elijah, the cloud, the voice of the Father was meant to confirm that the torch was being passed. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 1, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you know how it begins? It says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Amen? He did speak. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and it goes on. How has God spoken to us in these last days? By his son. He is God's final word, his definitive word. Wow. He was no ordinary rabbi. He was the Messiah, but he was even more than that. He was the son of God. He was the word of God. So the transfiguration told them something about Jesus that they didn't know before. It tells us something about him. That he had transcended the law and the prophets. He transcended Moses and Elijah. That all things were fulfilled in him. And that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. The disciples needed to know that. And you know why? Because they were going to experience some hard times. Jesus, remember? Who he, he says, who, who am I? Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And then he talks about how he's going to be betrayed and suffer and die and rise again. And then he says, you must follow in my steps because the path of the kingdom is by way of the cross. He's telling them this, so he's connecting everything to the cross. The cross where Jesus suffered and died is central to who we are as Christians. The transfiguration prepared the disciples for what was to come. That's why Jesus allowed them to be there. He knew that they one day would be persecuted, that they would suffer, be put in prison, be beaten, and some would even die as martyrs. And so he was giving them something to hold on to, that's why when Peter wrote about that, when he's reflecting upon it in his letter, you know, we were eyewitnesses. We were there. We remember. No matter how hard it gets, this is an anchor to my faith. It gave Peter and the others a, an eternal perspective. We need that, folks. In our day, what we've been through in the last two years in our world, we need 
to know that Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. He is God's final word. And he is here today, and he wants to manifest his glory in your life and through through your life. So the mountain where they were is kind of like a metaphor. You know, when Martin Luther King Jr., you know, when he's giving one of his civil rights speeches, he said, I've been to the mountain. (laughs) Yeah, we need to go to the mountain. Where was Moses when he got the Ten Commandments? He was on the mountain. And then he descended the mountain to minister. We need to go to the mountain, and we need to go there every day. You can't minister in the valley until after you've ascended the mountain. We try to do ministry in the local church in our own flesh, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, our own power, and it's empty. We have to first sit and soak in his presence, in the presence of the exalted Christ, and worship him there, to hear his word, to listen to him. And then we are transformed, and we can go out and bring transformation to others. So who was the transfiguration for? It wasn't for Jesus. He knew who he was. It was for the disciples. It was for us. Now, one thing we need to realize is the people in the Bible were no spiritual giants. Don't put, you know, in James chapter 5, it says Elijah was a man just like us. You know, yeah, he was. He was pretty ordinary. Moses was really ordinary. Every, they were all ordinary. The disciples were ordinary. And they were, you know, petty and narrow-minded just like a lot of us. And yet, God wanted them, he wanted to reveal Christ to them. He wanted them to know Jesus in his glory. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to have an encounter with God. You don't need to be, you just have to be available to him. So Peter, remember how he wants to build the three shelters? He's there, he's overwhelmed in this glorious presence at, at, at the sights and the sounds. Um, and he wants to build these shelters. He wants them to stay a while. He knows he's on holy ground. And maybe he's thinking about Moses on the mountain when he first meets God at the burning bush. And God says to Moses, take off your shoes for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And they must have realized we are on holy ground. We don't belong here. I don't belong here. And that's why it could be a little terrifying. But what does God always say to us when we're terrified in his presence? What does he always say? Fear not. I'm with you. And so, this was for the disciples. And it's for you and me. See, you know what? We like to make fun of Peter. A lot of people interpret this passage about when Peter wanted to, you know, when he was blathering on about the shelters and, you know, he didn't know what he was saying. Uh, we say, you know, ah, there's Peter going off, you know, running off at the mouth again, you know. But you know what? He, that's what we do. But you know what? He, he actually got it. He actually got it. He was in a place of worship. 
a place of wonder and amazement. Have we lost that in our day? Childlike faith. You know, we're all spiritual numbskulls, just like Peter. Really. Unless God, through his Holy Spirit, gives us revelation and lets us see beyond, behind the veil, behind the curtain. And that's what they got to do. They got to go behind the curtain to see things that even angels had not seen. And they were changed. They were transformed. So God wants to meet with you on the mountain. That's a metaphor. He wants to meet with me on the mountain. Where we sit and soak in his presence and we say, Lord, show us your glory. Reveal Christ to me. Help me to see him as the exalted Christ. Risen and glorified. We're, t- we're told in the Bible to gaze upon Christ. To fix our eyes on him. Especially in the hard times. To fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where we need to be looking. We need a clear vision of him. Because that's what energizes us for life. That's what energizes us for our mission. Is when we leave that place of worship, when we descend from the mountain, now we have something to share with others. And this is not a matter of discovery. Remember, they were spiritual numbskulls just like us. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be a spiritual giant. You don't have to go to Bible college or seminary. Well, yeah, those are good things. But we don't discover Jesus. He's revealed to us when we come before him in childlike faith. It's a revelation. As you're sitting here today and you say, Brian, I know about Jesus. I know about him. I've read the Gospels, but I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling it. Would you just be in a place where you would wait upon God and say, God, reveal him to me. Give him an opportunity. But we need to come and be still in his presence and be patient. To know him is to know him in his suffering as well as in his glory. Romans 8, verses 16 and 17 says that we are heirs of God. We are children of God and we're heirs of God and we're co-heirs of Christ And that is if we suffer with him so that we can also be glorified with him. Jesus, why did he take them up to the mountain to see him transfigured right after he talked about his betrayal and his suffering and death? There was no mistake. Jesus was connecting the dots for them. He said, "You, you don't have glory without suffering. No pain No gain, as we sometimes like to say. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ. Everybody here, just go, I want to know Christ. Can we say that? I want to know Christ. And then he says, 
and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, I want to know his power, the power of his resurrection, but I also want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. You need both. That's why my last message two weeks ago I said, and it's from the scripture, Mark chapter 8, the path of the kingdom is by way of the cross. We can't go around it. We must go through the cross. To be in the presence of Christ and behold him in his glory is a truly transformative experience. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, at the very end. I love these words. And we all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness. We reflect his glory to others. We are transformed and we bring transformation. Do you know what Jesus and Moses and Elijah were talking about? Luke chapter 9 verse 31 tells us they were talking about his exodus, his departure. They were talking about his suffering. Peter makes reference to that in one of his letters. Here he is being transfigured. He's glorious and exalted. And what are they talking about? They were talking about how he was going to suffer. It was all part of the plan for him and for us. The path to the kingdom is by way of the cross. The mountain is where we encounter God and where we experience Jesus for who he really is. And now we can go to the mountain every day. We have a Bible. We have ears to hear, hearts to receive. And best of all, we have the Holy Spirit who is our teacher, our counselor, and the one who will guide us into all truth, the one who testifies to us about Jesus. This isn't just head knowledge. This is heart knowledge. This is experiential. Have you experienced him? Do you know him? Are you getting to know him better every day? Is your heart hungry for that? Folks, we live and work in the valley. We do. You live and you work in the valley. But we need to keep going back to the mountain. Every day we go to the mountain. And then we descend to do his work. Once we are transformed in his presence, we can bring transform, transformation to everyone and everything around us. But first we must be in his presence. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That is my prayer for you, for me, for all of us. And I just want to close in prayer. And I want to ask you right now, this is the response to the message. Would you right now say, Lord Jesus, open my eyes to see your glory. Grant me understanding of your word. 
help me to understand that if I am to be glorified with you, I must also be willing to suffer with you. To take up my cross daily and follow you. Would you pray this? Lord, I am not content with what I've yet learned of you. I want to know you more in a deeper, more profound way. But Lord, I confess that I cannot discover this for myself. So may you teach me. May you reveal your glory to me. Open my eyes, Lord. Teach me to be still. Help me to find time every day to sit and to soak in your presence, to go to the mountain and to be still there and to gaze upon your glory. Lord, I want to be transformed just as you were transformed. Change me, Lord, from the inside out so that I can bring transformation to others. I offer myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen.